We are I. Good morning, everybody. 5.10 a.m. on this Thursday morning. Dark, rainy, and you know what? We're almost at the... the blah, 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 blah. Listen to me stumble over my thoughts at 5.10 in the morning. Um, We're almost at the shortest day of the year. <laughs> That's what I was thinking in my mind. Just We're almost at that, that halfway point through the, the dark days, which means we're on the, on the slide up. We get to go back up. We get to gain some hours. That means hiking season's coming soon. That means the backcountry is coming soon. That means the meadows, the flowers, the birds chirping, the blue skies, the summits, the rivers, the valleys, they're all calling my name. Calling my name hard. Whew. Gosh, I want to get out so bad. Now, this has nothing to do with what I want to talk about today. Just that happened to be burning um, on my brain, in my soul, in my heart, on my body. I just love being outside. Now, the one thing that I want to kind of get into a little bit today is something that I found to be absolutely fascinating. Fascinating because I was not prepared for it. Fascinated because it blew me away. Fascinated because I had no idea that this narrative existed at all. And it just blew my eyes wide open. So when I was stuck in Lillooet, the first night when I woke up, well, actually, this started when I first got there on Monday night around 9.30 p.m., and I roll up to the, the gate before you enter the pass, and there was a guy standing there, and he's like, oh, the road is closed, and I was like, okay, and he's like, you know, check back in the morning, and I'm like, fair enough, you know, I got nowhere to go, so I, I pull down the road, you know, maybe about 500 meters, and there's a, a brake check for semi-trucks. And this isn't like a normal brake check. This is like extreme middle of nowhere, back country, off the beaten path brake check. It's basically like a little bit of a roadside pull up, but has some amazing views of Seton Lake because it's right above it. It has amazing views of the three mountains around you because this essentially still is within the three uh, valleys that come together where Lillooet actually is. So... Sitting there and I sleep in my car and I wake up the next morning and I drive up to the gate and there's a woman standing there. And I was like, oh, fair enough. I'm like, I wonder when shift change was. Just It's kind of like an odd time for a shift change because I got there at 9.30 at night and I rolled up to this gate at like 6.30 in the morning. So I start chatting with her and I was like, you know, I'm like, can I grab you a coffee? She's like, well, you know, I forgot my lunch. Um, and I forgot my coffee in, in our work truck and, you know, I get dropped off and, you know, a coffee would be great. So I was like, perfect. So I roll into town because I plan on getting a coffee anyway and thinking of all the questions that I could ask this person about how and when the road's going to be open and, you know, just establish that that friendship with somebody who is boots on the ground, who has, you know, like real time information. Not like waiting for Drive BC to update things, not waiting for people on Twitter to say something about a highway they don't even you know know anything about and not really caring about at the moment. So I go into town, I stop at the little local coffee shop and 
grab myself a coffee and you know I explained to him I was like you know there's this lady standing at the gate and you know she forgot her lunch and um her coffee and stuff in the work truck and she's there for a 12-hour shift <laughs> I'd like to get her coffee and they're like you know what we'll donate a lunch you know a, de- a treat a dessert and a coffee if you're just willing to drive it up to her and I was like fair enough I'm like I absolutely will so they give me her coffee and, you know, her food and, you know, it's a little bag and stuff. And, you know, I pay for my coffee and I head out and I'm like, wow, what a great small town. And this is the thing that I love about small towns and small communities because they actually are just that, a community. Like this person who owned this coffee shop, you know, clearly doesn't know the woman. I didn't say her name. I just said this woman standing up here, you know, at the gate doesn't have this but I mean I didn't even think twice about it you know gave me this food and this this drink to be able to take to her like that's amazing like that if you don't want to live in an area like that if you don't want to live in a place like that if you don't want to be a part of a community like that there's something seriously wrong with you because that's what it's all about like living for each other helping each other out like realizing that yes I'm Sometimes like I have more than you have. And I seen this great meme on social media yesterday saying that, you know, when you have the pursuit of finances, you shouldn't be thinking of like how much more I can buy. It should be a part of us thinking about how much more I can give back. I thought, what a great concept. You know, once you live so far above what you actually need, it's about bringing everybody else up. And the ironic part about this that I see is it's typically the people who don't have a lot of anything at all or will put them off in a worse position by helping somebody will versus the people who have an abundance of means to be able to help people and they don't. I find that to be very extraordinary. It's crazy. I just don't even get to understand. And I hope if I ever get to that position in life one day that I remember that meme and I remember this, you know, singular-sided conversation right now. You know, so I take this food and this drink up to her and sitting there, we have a little chit-chat and, you know, getting just to kind of know her a little bit and, you know, just asking questions about little what the highway, what she thinks and stuff and I'm talking to her for about an hour. And, you know, the same thing. She's like, you know, come back in the afternoon and hopefully I have an update for you. And I came back in the afternoon <coughs> and I brought her another coffee and stuff because you know what's what's a dollar two dollars at tim hortons like it's not not big at all but can completely brighten up this person's day so we're saying we're chit-chatting a little bit more and every day so i was there for a few days and every day like i would go and i'd bring her a coffee in the morning we'd sit and talk and by the second day since it was cold and snowing up there she had built a, a little fire just grabbed some firewood and built a, a fire on the side of the road to sit by to be able to keep warm instead of sitting in in her truck which I thought was amazing. You know, this lady was First Nations, and I was just curious. Curious when we were sitting down. We were sitting down by the fire, and this was a couple hours into our conversation the second day in the afternoon that um, she brought up residential schools. And I was like, oh, Blake, you know, like you're so curious. You're a curious person. You're going to ask questions going to have to be respectful. This is a conversation that can go completely sideways. Just bite your lip. Ah, but I can't do that because fuck, you know, I got something wrong with me, air quotes, not that there's anything wrong with me, I think. 
Um, so I'm like, I would just like to ask, if you don't mind, like, what was your experience like at a residential school? I was like, oh. She's like, well, and I was like, fuck, Blake, here we go. Like, she going to just tell you to pound sand? Is she going to get upset? Then what came out of her mouth next shocked me. She looked me right in the eye and she's like, it was the best experience I've ever had. And I was dumbfounded, absolutely dumbfounded, because there was no part of my being that thought that this woman might be just fucking with me. You could hear the authenticity in her voice. You could feel the authenticity coming off her body. Like this was really how she thought and how she felt. So then there's curious me saying, be like, hmm, let me see. Like, why? And I said to her, I was like, look, I'm like, I'm going to be honest with you. I have never in my life heard anybody say anything positive about residential schools in Canada. I'm like, I just don't even know what to say right now, except for my curiosity just Makes me want to know why your experience was so good and why there isn't other people saying that. But then the light clicked on. And I was like, okay, here we go. So, uh, yes, of course. And I don't want to downplay the absolutely disgusting nature of residential schools. Like, I have my opinion on residential schools and they can fuck right off. Uh, same with the government, the Catholic Church, and everybody who had a part of it. Like, I love hearing stories that people had a positive experience, but I think the whole program is like it. I just have my own opinion. So this woman sits me down and she says, Blake, I want you to understand. There's a very big difference between residential schools in the 50s and 60s than the 70s and 80s. And I was like, oh, how so? She's like, well, in the 50s and 60s, residential schools were at their all time worst. Like everything that you think about residential schools, 100%. She's like, my mom was went to residential schools in the 50s and 60s. My uncle went to residential schools in the 50s and 60s. My other uncle, because my grandma, when they heard that the, the little paddy wagon thing was coming to be able to get the kids, her grandma told... Her like six or seven, I can't remember. She her uncle was six or seven. She said, "Go through the forest and get to our hunting cabin." And she said, "This hunting cabin was up the mountain, down the mountain, up the mountain, down the mountain." And she used a couple other descriptive terms that were just they were so classically amazing, and I connect with them so much. Where it's like you know, up the mountain when you get to the flat rock, you take a right, you go down to the, you know, like it was just. It was the the best. I just, I love hearing descriptive terminology like that because spending so much time in the backcountry, that's exactly how you explain something. But this young boy sat in this cabin for weeks waiting for somebody because her grandma said, until, until somebody comes and gets you, you stay there. And this little boy knew how to fend for himself because he was taught the skills of life. She's crazy. So that was... That was residential schools from my understanding through her in the 50s and 60s. The typical part that I just cringe about where people showed up at somebody's house and took their children is fucking gross to me. Gross. 
Like it makes my blood boil. It makes me want to vomit in my mouth. Even just thinking of the concept that some fucking institution would have the audacity to be able to pull up to somebody else's house and say, I'm going to take your children and make them better. It is gross. Gross to the fullest extent. Now, she said that like her mom and her uncle and everybody in her family and everybody she knows in that time period went through everything. Like the the torture, beatings, assault, sexual assault, you know, pregnancies, you know, like 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 the most horrific shit that you can think of. Absolutely horrific. She even told me that they in some of these residential schools have found babies in the walls and they think that this was from um, the girls who were raped that got pregnant and they delivered these babies who didn't want anybody to know that these girls were pregnant and this is where they were putting some of the bodies. Like if that doesn't make you want to vomit in your mouth, whether or not that's actually true, but you know now based on some of the things that have been in the news that there's elements to that that very well could be plausible because of everything that has gone at these fucking schools. So... As she's telling me this, like, there's this part of me that's just, like, deflated, disgusted, just having a hard time sitting there in my own skin. So she gives me this full narrative of just, like, how horrible this was for her family. Then you speed this up to when she went to residential schools. And she's like, when I got to residential schools, she's like, I was so happy to get off the reserve. She's like, I knew that this was going to be such a better life for me than what I would ever have on the reserve. And I was like, oh man, that must be so hard. So I did think about the place where you've come from, thinking that if you go here, that this is going to be better. But I'm like, that's what I perceive these things to be in my mind, knowing what the limited amount of what I know. And I only know the version she has told me about her mom and her uncle. Then I quickly thought, I'm like, fuck, this is like every child in a small town is like, I just want to get out of this small shitty town and move to the big city. There's a a part of that where we glorify, but you get to the big city and it chews you up and spits you out and those kids want to go back to the small town. So there's an element to that that's the same, I'm not saying that residential schools are like the big city, but I'm just saying conceptually you can start to draw the dots. So she says she she gets there and She's like, I was so happy to finally have three meals a day. I was like, wow. Like, what, a, what an amazing, like, opener. Like, that's that's the, her first thing she told me. Is she was just so happy to have three meals in a day. And I was, you know, I'm like, okay, like, that, that's her connection. Like, that's all of our connection, right? Food. Food security. And she's like, I just... I love the structure. You know, like we had a time to get up. We had a time that we ate. We had a time that we went to school. We were always busy. We were gardening. We were practicing sports. We were practicing in our band. Like she's like, I love the structure. But she's like, we had every Sunday off almost. It's like all these things that we know, like are all things that she connects with and still remembers to this day. You know, being busy as a kid, having structure as a child having food security and she just said knowing how to warm bed to be able to go into all these things that we know are so invaluable to children this is what it offered her and these are her memories she's like i got to travel all around the province and into the pacific northwest in the united states because i was a part of a band and we got to travel all around performing um 
our music, you know, at different festivals and, you know, different community events. And she's like, it was awesome. She's like, we used to go skating and we used to go swimming and, you know, like all these different things. She's like, we had gymnastics and she just was lighting up. You could see the smile on her face. She was looking up at the sky and telling these stories and giggling. And I was like, wow, like I've never heard somebody talk so positive about residential schools before, ever, not even remotely close. I've never had somebody say anything that this was a positive experience. But this woman, Sharon, went on and on and on about how great this experience was and how this is where she falls back. And these are her memories talking about, you know, almost has this air to it that if she could go back to that, she would. You know, through her battles in her life of, you know, drugs and alcohol, she was very, you know, forthcoming with the information and, you know, how she got persecuted in her own community and, you know, was consistent with the job <clears throat> for 18 years, but for 16 years, it was temporary. <clears throat> and now she's on with a road maintenance company, full-time benefits package, you know, 60 years old, you know, coming up to retirement, has her house paid off, how's her car paid off, like just seemingly doing great her and her husband doing awesome has a daughter you know but like when she thinks back to this moment like this is this is what helped formed all of this up until what she's at today is this great experience she has going to this residential school you know besides just being busy and super active and you know maybe being a little bit run down as a child because you're doing so much she had nothing bad to say except for the stories that she heard of, you know, people who came before her in the same system. Doesn't that shock you? Doesn't that shock you to realize that in every facet almost of today's life, we get into these fucking echo chambers that force us to be able to think a different way and it's so hard to be able to think clearly outside of that echo chamber. And that's just where we're at. And this is a prime example of this. I would have, if you would have asked me before this, this conversation I had with Sharon, that if there was positive experiences at residential schools, I'd be like, there is no fucking way that anybody had a positive experience at these residential schools. Now, I feel uneducated. I feel polarized. <clears throat> I feel like I just didn't know I have this ignorant perspective. I leveraged this ignorant thought, giving off more of a an ignorant narrative, an ignorant perspective, and I just perpetuated that because I just didn't know because I had no understanding. So I thought, you know, if I'm going to get stuck somewhere, if I'm going to end up somewhere, it's to gain a little bit more life experience. And this is where it comes down to just sitting and talking to people, not being so closed-minded, not being scared to socialize, not being scared to reach out and say hi or grab a coffee and just be a nice human being and sit down. Like, Let me sit with you and just talk with you and tell me about your life. Because that's what I did. I literally said those words verbatim to this woman. I'm like, I just want to know about you. I'm like, I have all the time in the world. Just tell me the story about Sharon. This is how we got into all these conversations. But this is where, to me, you can't buy life experience. You can't buy understanding. You can't buy perspective. You need to actually get boots on the ground and talk to people and be 
a part of a thriving community where like you actually want to have connection with these people so you, you can understand life to a better degree. And this is what all helps me in my day be able to navigate, navigate every second a little bit more successfully. I want a greater understanding of what is going on and why and why I think it's happening. Conversation with people is the best way to be able to get there. And conversation with people outside of your demographic, people outside of your echo chamber and understanding more about life. So my question of the day is, do you do this? Do you seek out situations that get you into conversations with people outside of your echo chamber? Because if not, I truly believe that you're doing yourself a great disservice by doing that. So... Hopefully, if you don't, if you, if you can say, answer that question and say, no, I don't get in those conversations, I hope that you do because you're only benefiting yourself.